do appreciate all that those very special people in all of our lives. If you're here today, you're here today. How about this profound? Because you have a mother. How about that? Very, very thankful. And um, certainly should not be, all of our thankfulness should not be relegated to just one day a year. Amen, moms? Should not be, thank you, relegated to just one day a year. Nevertheless, it is kind of cool just to, just to kind of set aside a time and to do that. And, um, you know, people, every, I mean, everybody, everybody loves their mom, right? I mean, people who say that they don't love their mom, they love their mom. You know, my favorite story is that, you know, the football player, son, sports fanatic, dad, trainer, coach, works his whole life teaching the kid all the intricacies of football. The kid grows up, plays on the high school team, gets a scholarship, plays in college, makes it to the pros, finally makes his first touchdown. I mean, dad has spent his whole life training that kid, gets his first touchdown, the camera's on him, national TV, and he says, hi, mom. (laughs) That's what he does. We love our moms, man. We love our moms. Dad could have done all that work, but nobody loves me like mom does. And, And it's it's, it's something. Um, so it's kind of all about that. And, and you know, in our, in our Bible study here, we have been systematically going through the Gospel of John. And, and you know, I, I would have paused the series in John to just kind of talk about a subject that might be very appropriate for a day like today, but this message in John is appropriate for a day like today. So if you have your Bibles, look in John chapter 14. And uh, we're going to continue in our study, and we're going to talk a little bit about love, and we're going to talk about specifically some practical expressions of loving people and how that all plays out. I mean, if you really love somebody, you, you want them to be happy. You want them to be provided for. If they have needs, you want to meet those needs. If they hurt, you want to encourage and comfort them in those hurts. If they have anything that's going on in their life, if there's any way that you can provide a way to make their life better, then you want to be able to do that. Those are expressions of love, and those are some of the things that we want to see, that, see um, in, in our message today. And so, um, there's no reason why, as we look at this, it's not specifically just an application for ourselves and among one another, although that is valid, but it's with us and our relationship with the Lord as well. I mean, why would our expression of love to the Lord Jesus Christ be any different than we expect it to be with one another as well? And so that's what I want us to consider. I mean, if we look at the, the question, why do we love the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. The Bible says that we love the Lord Jesus Christ because he first loved us. And, um, you know, we can gloss over that, but it's certainly true. I mean, we wouldn't have loved Jesus. We wouldn't have decided to, to just follow him with our whole hearts had he not first proven his love and sacrificed his life for us, right? And, and so, on one sense, you could say that we love Jesus because he gives us stuff. And that's kind of true, really. I mean, I guess there shouldn't be any shame, and that's just true. He did stuff for us, and we're like, wow, that's awesome. I love you. I'm so thankful for that. And, uh, but how do we love Jesus? And that's really more of what we're going to look at today. How we love him, some practical expressions. That's the title for today, some practical expressions of love. And we're going to see that as we continue on in John chapter 14. And before we jump in and read, and we'll start reading in verse 15. What I want you to understand is that we are near the end of Jesus' earthly life. We are in the last week leading up to his crucifixion. 
Uh, he had that last meal with his uh, disciples. Judas has betrayed him and has left the room. He's announced that Peter's going to deny him. The disciples are probably a little bit shaken up about this whole scenario. But, but he has this intimate group of 11. And he's really pouring out his heart. And what we see in the end of chapter 13 and all through 14, 15, and 16, Jesus starts to reveal some real core things about who he is and how he desires for life to continue to function because his end is near, okay? And so that's kind of the scenario set up as to uh, what's going on in this story. So if you'll just follow along, I'm going to read. We got uh, the second half of the chapter, starting in verse 15 down to the end. It says, Jesus speaking, it says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and saith unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye loved me, you would rejoice, because I said I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before it come to pass that when it come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter, I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Now that's a mouthful, I get it. We went through a lot of scripture there, but we're gonna kind of lay it out in three general categories. I think you'll track with me that it really makes sense. And the overall picture, all we're trying to do, and this is, by the way, if you're new to First Baptist Church, this is what we do. We look at the scripture and we do our best to understand exactly what God said within the context of what he said. And although there's a ton of great things in this passage that we probably can't have the time to get to, what we will see is the core message Jesus is trying to describe discuss and describe with his disciples and that is all about how we practically live out this expression of love and that's really important so let's just pray and then we'll continue on lord jesus we need you we need you to be our teacher we need you to to guide us in this time and we need you to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to fully comprehend what it is you want to communicate to us and lord for each and every one of us that are here we all have different things going on in our lives some people are doing great right now some people are really hurting And whatever's going on in each and every one of our lives, I pray, Lord Jesus, that through your Holy Spirit, you would speak specifically to that need, that you would give an answer, that you would give comfort, as we will see, that you would guide us and that we would find our sustenance, our our completion only in you. 
and that we would surrender it all to you. I pray that you would be glorified, and I pray that you would do it through your word at this time. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the three things that we're going to see how we can express love, the first of which is love cooperates. And it's just verse 15. And really, y'all, I mean, we could spend a month just talking about verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. The whole idea that we want to cooperate, to operate is to do something, co, to do it together. We want to cooperate with Jesus. We want to keep his commandments. He said, if, if you love, it's a conditional statement, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's what he said. And he just laid it out there. So we're going to talk about that. Now, in doing so, in this section in your notes, you'll notice there's a lot of Bible references. Okay, we're going to kind of go through them kind of quick. What I want, what, the reason I gave you this many was just so you could take them home. You could look them over. You could talk about them with your family. You could do some quiet time study. And that would be a good thing. But arguably, for sure, the two greatest commandments that stand head and shoulders above all other commandments in the Scriptures are found in Matthew chapter 22 and Matthew chapter 28. And the one in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40, really summarize this idea of love. And the whole idea is basically, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, this this is the greatest commandment in all the law. So we're on firm ground when we say this is a great commandment. Then the others in Matthew chapter 28, which is not so much about love in the sense of the way God phrases it anyway, but in this case, it really emphasizes what we do. It has to do with our actions. It has to do with the things that we carry out, our duties, the things that we do. And it's, we call it the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And it's basically to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them. We just did that today. That's great. And then to teach them to observe or to do or to obey all things, Jesus said, whatsoever I've commanded you. And so this commandment, so we have the one that's all about love, and then we have one that's all about actions. And and arguably, these are the two pillar statements that Jesus makes in talking about his commandments to us. That great commission, man, that thing's just loaded full of verbs, isn't it? Go and, and teach all nations or make disciples of all nations and baptize them and teach them that they would observe or do all of these things. Okay, and so here's kind of where we have the balance. And the way that I put it in your, in your notes is this balance is described kind of in the very person of who God is as love and holiness. Love and holiness. The ultimate cooperation of God's expression of himself. God is perfect love and God is perfect light. That's what it says in 1 John. In 1 John chapter number 1, in verse number 5, the Bible says God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It represents his perfect holiness, purity, sinlessness. A little further on in 1 John chapter number 4 and verse number 8, it says God is love. That's who he is. Now, when we think about these ideas of love and light, love and holiness, a lot of times in our minds, let me just speak for myself. In my mind, I might sometimes think, okay, well, those are competing forces, While we're loving, maybe holiness is neglected a little, or while we're emphasizing the holiness, maybe we're not really focusing a lot on the love at this moment, but God's being is entirely different. God says, no, this is, they complement each other. One absolutely goes with the other, and if we don't have them both, we really don't have either. And that's a really important thing. And so the way I describe it for you is this way, is that love drives holiness. 
Love drives holiness, and holiness proves love. Love drives holiness, holiness proves love. In other words, love is the motivation that causes us to desire to live our life in accordance with God's Word. And when we live our life in accordance with God's Word, what we are doing is proving that indeed we really do love. And that's an important distinction. That's important for us to understand. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he was very serious when he did that. Now, if you were to glance down at our text in verse number 31, we see that Jesus Christ, of course, is our ultimate example. He would never ask us to do anything that he did not do himself. And in verse 31, but that the world may know, that, in other words, that I might prove to the world that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. I love the Father, and I love him enough to prove to all y'all that I love him because I'm going to go all the way to the cross. My human desire is not to do that, but I will submit to God's will and I will obey his commandment for my life. And that's what Jesus did, and he proved it. Now, if you look back in the text, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, okay? And then glance down to verse number 23. And he said, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And then if you look in verse number 24, and it says, he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And so we're not just talking about the Big Ten, not the football conference, the Big Ten Commandments, okay, Exodus 20. We're not just talking about the Ten Commandments, keep my commandments. He's not just talking about those. My commandments in the context are my words. They're my sayings, okay? But what I want you to see, again, as we look into the Scriptures, it's not um, exclusive just to the things Jesus Christ said during his three-year earthly ministry. Because what we see, if we expand it just a little bit further into Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 37, it'll pop on the screen for you. It says this, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge, Paul says, that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. And so most specifically for us who are alive in the church age, this entire time for the last 2,000-some years since the Lord Jesus Christ, this time where we are in the body of Christ, where the Apostle Paul has written all of these letters to the churches, that we as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ most certainly can also and should also apply the things that are written in the epistles as the commandments of the Lord. And so when Jesus says, if you love me, Keep my commandments, keep my words, keep my sayings. Okay, so we're going to cooperate with God. Keep his sayings. What are the commandments? Well, you know, enough said. It's, it becomes a little overwhelming, does it not? Here, here's the commandments. Just, just all that stuff. You got about 1,500 pages worth. Uh, have at it. Uh, how you doing? You know, I mean, it's a lot, right? I mean, it's the whole Bible. I mean, it's every, by the way, the whole Bible understood properly in context, of course. But most certainly, since the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry, and most certainly since that time through the apostles and the things that come unto us in the church, without a doubt, all of that encompasses the commandments of the Lord, wouldn't you say? 
And Jesus says, it's interesting, he says, hey, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so God is this complete union, beautiful unity of love and holiness. And when we look at the commandments as a whole, and I mean, it's just, it's just a Bible-wide Bible study, what you'll find is so many of these commandments then fall into two main categories, and obviously they will be love and they will be holiness. They will be love and they will be duty. They will be things that we're going to do. And so I just gave you some references. Let's just look at a few of those very quickly because there's a lot more to see in this chapter. So just concerning love, I mean, very, very clear. 1 John chapter 3, the same human author, this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you've never believed on the name of Jesus Christ and you've never been saved, God's commandment for you is to do that. You can do that today. And for those of you that have, to love one another as he gave us commandment. Down in chapter number four and verse number 21, and this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. So we are commanded to love one another. Look around the room, look around the room. Just love, 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 love. That's the commandment. Romans 14. I pulled Romans 14 out just as an example of what I would consider the corollary, okay? The opposite side of the coin, all right? This is what you wouldn't want to do. So in order to do that right, you probably ought to make sure you don't mess this one up. Romans 14, verse number 10. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? In other words, just say, "Ah, he's nothing. That guy's nothing to set at naught. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Then jump down to verse 12. It says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us not, therefore, judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. In other words, if you are loving your brother, you do not need to judge him. You do not need to judge him. He has a judge. If he's a brother, he's a Christian. If he's a Christian, he has Jesus Christ. He will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, just as you will, just as I will. And we don't need to judge him. God will take, listen, God is fully capable of doing his own job, doesn't need volunteers. And, and that's what we should do. Uh, Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 25. Another, just a, just a good example. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So another way of just kind of expressing love, he's like, look, don't forsake coming to church on Sunday. Don't forsake spending time with believers. Don't forsake times and opportunities where we can gather together to exhort and encourage one another and all the more, by the way, as we see the end coming. As the end of time comes, all the more we should not be forsaking the gathering, okay, for the sake of whatever else it is that might be on your schedule. And so that's what he encourages us to do because that is an expression of love. Hanging out together is an expression of love. We're going to see a little bit more about that as we go. Now, holiness, I mean, wow, Lord have mercy. There's so many things that the Bible says that we ought to be doing. I just want to show you a few of them. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, there it is, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so the whole idea is that you live your life in such a way that you do not live as the world lives. You are not worldly 
but you are transformed and you surrender your body, a living sacrifice for God to come and to dwell in and through you and to use you for his purposes. That's what he desires for your life. In the little epistle, 2 John, it's only one chapter, verse number four. I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in the truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. So to walk in the truth, to obey the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 2 through 8. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Here's some more commandments. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, or we could say holiness, that ye should abstain from fornication. That's obvious. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. That's what he's called us to. He desires for us to live a life that is loving. He desires for us to live a life that is holy. And if you look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, because this is a good continuation of that thought process, in verses 10 through 14. For when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ, that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed." And you say, wow, that, that doesn't sound very loving. Well, that's because you don't understand love. Because the most loving thing you can do with a person who calls himself a brother and refuses to live according to the word of God is just to distance yourself. It doesn't say judge him. It doesn't say call him names. It doesn't say do any of that, okay? Don't get me wrong. Listen, it says note him, don't hang with him so that God can work on him so that eventually the discipline of the Lord can kick in and hopefully he'll respond because he's not finding a shelter, you know, any port in the storm, you know. A, a sinning Christian, a carnal, worldly Christian who can find all the friends in the world from the church that'll just love him and treat him fine thinks, well, I'm fine. I don't, I don't have to get right with God. I got everything going on just fine. But if the church would be the church and would apply that principle, then what we would see is, is that people who just refuse to follow the Lord are finding themselves with not very many friends either. And God uses it to get their attention. Again, we don't invoke the judgment. We don't do any of that. We just say, I'm not interested in intermingling with this unholy behavior. If you're not willing to do what's right, I'm just, I'm just not going to mess with you. And if you're not willing to work, which really spiritually in the context would even have to do with ministry and service, they don't work. Why should they eat? They just sit around and gossip all the time. They're just busybodies. They're not minding their own business. They're minding everybody else's business. You know people like that? Thank God we don't have any people like that. <laughs> and these are expressions of holiness. These are also expressions of love. Let's just look at some lists. I got two lists, and we just got to look at them. I mean, man, when I think about what does God say we should do, I think about these two lists. We're just going to read them. I mean, rapid-fire stuff, okay? If you want to just kind of measure, how you doing? How you doing with your love in the Lord, okay? If you love me, keep my commands. Just look. 1 Thessalonians 5, last part of that chapter, starting in verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you 
and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Just let the word speak to you as we're going through this. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient towards all men. Different strokes for different folks. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If you love me, Romans 12, starting in verse number 9. Another list, great list. Let love be without dissimulation, double-mindedness. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as it lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes it doesn't lie completely in us, but we do our part. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Maybe some of your favorite expressions of love. I don't know. That's supposed to be funny. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a list, man. Listen, we could go on and on. The whole point is this. Do you love Jesus? Amen. How you doing, man? Isn't it kind of like Jesus is saying, all right, I got it. Thank you. You say you love me? Thank you. Prove it. Prove it. So if your life was on trial and there was an independent jury that had to judge the evidence, the physical evidence of how much you love Jesus and the lists were before them, would you be found guilty of loving Jesus based on evidence that could be produced? That's what Jesus is saying. If you love me, cooperate with me. Walk with me, man. Do the things that I want you to do. Live according to my will. That's what you need to do. That's an important thing. And, and I love this last verse, 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, colon, and his commandments are not grievous. 
You're like, oh man, I got to do that. <laughs> no, the love of God, listen, is motivated. It's, it's our love for him that motivates our service. Our service proves the validity of our love. If it's true, if it's genuine, if it's real, if it's heartfelt, if it's sincere, it's not grievous. It's not a hassle for you. It's just what naturally overflows in your life. Love cooperates. Love also comforts. And this is the bulk of our passage, really talking about the comforter. But in all these verses from 16 down to 26 that deal with the comforter, really there's one theme. And it's interesting because Jesus is leaving they're panicking, and he's like, hey, 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 I love y'all, man. I'm going to send you, and he, the, the name he gives to the Holy Spirit, we'll get to that in a second, the Comforter, capital C, the Comforter. He's our Comforter. Comfort comes from the presence of the one you love. You ever have hard times? You ever going through real difficulty? You just want somebody that you love to be present They don't necessarily have to talk. They don't necessarily have to do anything. Just to have them nearby is comforting. People think that a blanket is a comforter. (laughs) You know, that's a good advertising. But but real comfort comes from a person. A real comfort comes from somebody you love who is with you, especially when you need them. And that's really what we see. Jesus is is their comfort. In fact, if you look in verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Meaning that Jesus himself was their comfort. And he's going to send another comforter, right? That he may abide with you forever. If you look down in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I'm the one that's been providing the comfort up until now. I'm leaving, but I'll continue to provide comfort because I love you. I'll continue to provide comfort for you. And so they're panicking. Where's Jesus going? Why are we going to be alone? Ah. And he says, I'm going to send you comfort. So that is our first point. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. He's the comforter. And it's defined very clearly, obviously, in those verses that we have in front of us. Even the Spirit, capital S, of truth. Okay? And you can go on down to verse 26 and see the same thing. But the comforter, biblically defined, which is the Holy Ghost. Okay, just as clear as day. And I want you to see something because the first thing is is that this Holy Spirit, he is a he. (laughs) How's that for deep? He's a he. That's who he is. He's a person. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He's a person. Okay, therefore he can comfort you. It says, it's funny because if you look in verses 16 and 17, and I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he, the comforter, may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him, the comforter, not. Neither knoweth him, but ye shall know him for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. Get the point? He's a person. He's a third person of the Trinity. And we'll get to that in a second. But listen, because he's a person, And because he is the spirit of the living God, okay? We think of people, we always think of the body. We'll get to that. Right now, it's just talking about the spiritual aspect. God's spirit, his presence, his very person dwells in you and is there all the time. Remember, because comfort comes from the presence of the one you love. 
Jesus was there then at that time bodily. But for all of us, the Holy Spirit, this person is in us constantly, all the time. That's our comfort. That's what it is. He's a he. He's a person. He is God. That's the next thing. He is deity. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17 says, the Lord is that spirit. And, and, and this whole issue of the Trinity, while sometimes it's difficult to comprehend intellectually, three and yet one, one and three and expressions, I get it. Sometimes it's hard to fully comprehend. The Bible's very clear. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, like I said, He is God. He's fully God. Every bit God as the Father, every bit God as the Son. The Holy Spirit is deity. That's who He is. He's a person and He is deity. He lives in you. <laughs> and this last one may be something you haven't thought about. He's Jesus. How about that? He's Jesus. If you kept your finger in, first, in John chapter 14 and you flip over and look in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul's addressing the church and he's talking about just different ways that God has worked in and through us. And he talks about how in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. Really? Jesus Christ in me? I thought it was the Holy Spirit. Yes, exactly. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17. Paul's praying and he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by love. Or by faith, excuse me. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And so is Jesus Christ dwelling in my heart? I thought it was the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. I thought he was in my spirit. I don't know, I'm confused. The answer to that question is yes. All of that. Because Christ, the Spirit, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the three, they really are one. I know it kind of trips your trigger and makes you think, I can't get that. It's okay, I don't get it either. It's what he says. It's what he does. I say that to say this. Here's what happens a lot of time in churches. We kind of get the Father, the great, almighty voice that you can't see anything. And we get Jesus because he was Jesus. And the Spirit sometimes is confusing, kind of like the other guy. Now, maybe you've never done that, but some of us have thought that. And, and you go through that, and you wonder sometimes, and you kind of you relinquish this third position like it's something less than the Son or the Father, and the Bible just doesn't tell us that. They're absolutely equal. The point I'm trying to make is this. The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, which is a person, which is every bit of God the Father and every bit God the Son, dwells in you that should be comforting that should encourage you that should listen jesus christ is just as much with you today as he was with those 11 disciples in that room that night just as much you just can't see him physically there's a different way to see him physically we'll see that in a second listen you go through this thing it says in verse 23 look at verse 23 if a man love me, he'll keep my words and my Father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. The Father, the Son, the Spirit. We will do that. We tend to think, oh, that's the Spirit, but Jesus is here, but okay, I don't fully understand it. But that's what he says. That's what he says. At the end of the day, you know what it is? You know where you're going to get your comfort? 
It's a, it's a little simple doctrine of the scripture that we call eternal security. He came, saved your soul, made you new, gave you a new life in Christ. The old man has passed away. All things are become new. You're a new creature. And he will never, ever, ever leave you. And regardless of how bad life gets, and by the way, it can get very, very bad for a lot of people, a lot of believing people. No matter how bad it gets, he's right there with you. And no matter what awaits you in this life, suffering, tribulation, distress, persecutions, no matter what, in the midst of it all, you got eternity secure, man. And it's going to last forever. That ought to comfort you, man. That ought to comfort you. The Father in me and I in you and you in me, that I may make my abode with you forever, he says, forever and ever and ever. You know what? Paul says, look, the sufferings of this present world, they're not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us, y'all. It may be really bad for you, and I'm really sorry, and we should pray for each other and encourage each other, but without a doubt, this life is but a vapor. It's grass that flowers the field that fade and are blown away and they're gone, but we will live forever. And the guarantee of that is this Holy Spirit that lives in us. He's our comforter. But not only that, the Holy Spirit's our teacher. The Holy Spirit's our teacher, and that's verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Do you ever notice that sometimes just a lack of accurate information can lead to fear and panic? If you've ever had a loved one sick in the hospital, for example, and you don't know what's wrong, and you're the one stuck in the waiting room, and you're just, you just don't know what to do because you've got to know what is wrong and you're praying and all that stuff. And then when the doctor finally comes and tells you what the diagnosis is and they tell you what is going on, it may not be favorable, but at least you know. And so now you can move forward. Now you can do whatever it is you need to do to try and make it right, okay? But until you know, you just, there's no, I mean, there's fear, there's panic. Well, the Holy Spirit is going to teach us all things. By the way, I don't know if you realize it, but this, this book, the Bible, it's the book of life. It is the book that defines life. This book literally rules the universe. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to agree with it. It doesn't require your agreeing to rule your life. It is the book that defines for us what life is, temporal as well as eternal. And if you're wise, you'll get into the pages of this book and you will allow God through his Holy Spirit to teach you the principles of life so that your life can be joyful, so that you can be comforted. And the more that you understand of God's revelation and you can apply it to your life because you will keep his commandments, the more you will understand and be comforted as a result in your life. And that is exactly what he does. So you have great news today. The great news is, is that the author of the scripture dwells inside of you. Have you ever read a book, just some book, and you're like, I wonder what they meant by this. I don't really understand this part. And if you had the ability to dial and call the author up and say, what did you mean when you wrote this? and they could explain it to you, that would clarify the whole story for you. Well, you got that. You got the book 
And you got the author inside of you. You got God's spirit. You got God's word. You got everything you need. Listen, this is an important thing. Jesus Christ, like any of us, a trinity in himself, body, soul, and spirit, when Jesus Christ physically, bodily left planet Earth, he totally and completely replaced himself so that God was not without witness or presence here. And so what we see is God's spirit is given to us in the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. God's soul is given to us in this written form. The Bible, you say the Bible is God's soul? That sounds weird. Really? Because what is a soul? Our soul is our mind. It's our, it's our will. It's our emotions. It's what we think. It's what we feel. It's what we desire. It's what we plan. Well, that's what this is. It's God's mind. It, it reveals his will. It tells us how he feels about stuff. The Bible is the very soul of God, and if you don't understand that, you're, you're not grasping the, the awesome gift that this is. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, ye, church, are my body, and members in particular. You're the bodies of, body of Christ. And so Jesus Christ left his spirit with the Holy Spirit. He left his soul with the Bible. He left his body as the church. And we now, church, become the physical representation of God's presence in this earth. Sadly, too many churches do a very poor job of representing him. But we have every opportunity in the world because we have God's spirit that teaches us God's word. But you know how God's spirit teaches us God's word? I don't know if you get this or not. But God's spirit teaches us God's word through the church. And that's not just because you come to church and somebody like me has the privilege of studying and standing up and teaching you. Hopefully the teaching time is beneficial. Hopefully you learn things and God uses gifted teachers to teach you. But it's more than just that because coming together in the body of the church, see, what we have is all this interaction, all this playing out of real life. The church is the laboratory of life for a Christian that we get to practice all these things that God's Spirit is teaching us through His Word. And we have to rub up against other real human beings who are yet imperfect as we are. And we have to figure it out. And if we will do that, we will grow. That means that God's Spirit will actually lead you into situations that might be tough so that you can figure them out amongst the body. That's why it breaks my heart so badly when people get frustrated for whatever reason and ditch the church or just run to another one and another one and another one. Not because I'm just trying to bolster our attendance. I think that more and more people should come here because I love it here, but this church isn't for everybody. My point is God's church is God's church. And when you, for, you say, look, me and Jesus and our favorite TV preacher, and that's enough. You're missing out because he's replaced himself with the church. And you say, well, this universal body of believers, no, I'm sorry, it is not a literal physical expression. You have to be a part of a church. You have to. Not just because there's gifted teachers and pastors that will care for your soul, but because there's this interaction among you all where you work out all these things that the Bible says, do this one among another. Love the brethren. Which, by the way, if you're just picking your favorite brethren... You, all y'all got some best friends. I got best friends. We all got better friends. That, look, I love loving those guys. 
There's some of the rest of them, you know, it's a stretch. (laughs) Those are the ones I need to love so I can be more like Jesus. I need to be here in the midst of people who aren't like me, who don't think like me, who don't like the way I think (laughs) so I can express godly love to them. That's part of my growth process. You got to have all three. The Holy Spirit does that. And if you eliminate the body out of that, you're missing it. You're just missing it. Our last point, verses 27 and 28. Love concedes. Love concedes. Listen, if you truly love, you'll concede your personal preferences for the benefit of the other. Jesus Christ is revealing to them, look, I'm leaving and I'm going to return, and I'm going to go to the Father. The disciples' response immediately is, don't leave. Now, while that response is understandable, it's also selfish. And that's what he basically says. If you were to go to 1 Corinthians 13, that great chapter on defining love, okay, or charity as it's expressed. In verse number four, there's a long list of things that charity is and is not, okay, And one of the things it says in verse number four is that charity seeks not her own. If you really love, you don't consider yourself in the equation. You only consider the other. And that's what Jesus is saying in verses 26 and 27. He's saying, look, I want you to understand, or 27, 28, excuse me. I want you to know I'm going away to my father. And if you really love me, you'd be happy for me, man. You'd be happy for me that I have to go away because it's better for me to go to be with my father. But they selfishly, again, understandably, said, don't leave. What are we going to do without you? They didn't understand, and that's why this part of the chapter is written. By the way, for him to leave, it's better for all us because we get the Holy Spirit, which is really him anyway, and he's with us all and in us all, something that didn't actually take place throughout all the Old Testament time. And so it's amazing how he lays this thing out. You've probably heard there's a fairly well-known quote, okay? And I couldn't find the genuine author. I, I couldn't find anybody who could agree who really gets the credit for this quote, but it says this, if you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it's yours. If it doesn't, it never was. You heard that before? You ever heard that before? It's fairly well-known. So Jesus Christ is going to leave them. If they would love him, if they would just concede to the fact that his benefit is of greater import to them than their own if they would just set him free right it says if you love something set it free if it comes back it's yours forever guess what he's going to do he's going to come back john 14 3 and he's going to abide with us forever (laughs) right and if it doesn't it never was in the first place and that's the whole idea but we, we kind of rationalize it out different. We kind of play it out different. And so sometimes in contrast to that, the way that we live our lives, and I know it's normal in our society, but it's not what Christ wants. Sometimes we're a little more possessive in the way we deal with something. And so if we were possessive, we might say that quote like this. We might say, if you love somebody, don't ever set them free. Maybe if we were very impatient, We might write the quote this way. If you love somebody, set her free. If she doesn't come back within a specific time limit, forget her. Some of us might live that way. If you're kind of suspicious, you might say, if you love somebody, set her free. 
And if she ever comes back, ask her why. (laughs) You know what? Jesus Christ had a plan, and his plan was perfect. And it was not just for his own benefit. It was for all of our benefit, obviously. And he's just trying to teach the disciples how to love. He's just trying to teach them what's next. And the cooperation that's required and the comfort that's required and the concessions that are required. You take this and you apply it in your interpersonal relationships. You take this and you apply it in your life before the Lord Jesus Christ and see if it doesn't transform you like it's going to transform these men as they go on and change the world in the next several years. It's an amazing thing. Go to verse number 30. Hereafter I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. The prince of this world is the devil. It's the Antichrist, okay? And, and he's referred to in many different ways throughout the Scripture. He's referred to as the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. He's called, um, he says that he has principalities in Ephesians chapter 6. He's called the god of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And he says, he's coming. He's coming. And he's got nothing to do with me. I don't have much time. Time's running out. You might say, ain't nobody got time for that. I got to go. We got things to do. We got time for the prince of this world. We got time for the God of this world and the principalities. We're running out of time, y'all. And the time is now. I mean, what? Jesus Christ is going to split the sky. He's going to call our names. If we are saved, we'll rise up in the air to meet him and we say, well, glory to God, that'll be awesome. But you got to understand this judgment seat of Christ thing is real. And he will take account of our lives. And if the Lord Jesus Christ did that tonight, and he could, by the way, you got to ask yourself, how would he find you? How would he find me today? If you love me, keep my commandments. Will the Son of Man, when he returns, the Bible says, will he find faith on the earth? And you know what? Every day that clicks off is just another day. Maybe some of you are really struggling. Maybe some of you are here, and for whatever reason you came here, you're here. God brought you here. And you're like, wow, man, my life has been messed up, and I got to get it right. Listen, there's no time like the present. I'm just telling you, there's no time like the present. How long are you going to wait? What are you waiting for? I mean, he just did everything to set this thing up, and he gave you the instructions. Let's just surrender our hearts to him. Let's just allow him to retake control, if you've allowed him previously to do it, to retake control, to repent of whatever things that are hindering our relationship with him and to get it cleaned up and to get it right. That's what we need to do. That's how we need to do this. I left you a couple of questions. Do you really love him? Do your actions prove it? I'm not here to judge you. I'm just here to tell you what God said. You consider what God would have you to do as we all pray together. I want us to pray. So if you close your eyes, bow your heads.